Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Today is the final message in our Touchpoint series. We've been doing this series on Touchpoints of Faith, where we've been kind of looking at specific points of contact for our lives uh, to demonstrate the power of the Spirit. It's been an exciting message. We, but as we close this series, here's the deal. I hope that those of us who are, are knocking on heaven's door, that we knock and continue to knock. Are you there? That we seek and continue to seek. Yeah? That we, you listen, the noise of the opportunity of God is abroad in the land. And we want to we hear that noise and we want to move out on it. So this morning, because if you look at the graphics of our uh, series, which you've been seeing for the last eight weeks or so, it occurred to Ian and I, Pastor Ian, that we've not done anything on walking on water. And so we fashioned a message called, How to Walk on Water. How would you like to walk on some water this morning? Huh? And so I, I love the practicality as well as the practicability of that title, Walking on Water. One of the little themes that keeps sprouting up during this series, all the way back, do you remember this, the, the Sunday morning that we did Floating Iron? that message, Floating Iron, I have so much response on that message because one of the themes of that message and the, one of the themes that have been running through um, each Sunday morning as we do this Touchpoint series is this, that it's this, that, that the, not only does God change things, but he changes the very nature of things. You know, in that particular message, wood becomes iron and iron becomes wood. You know, there's a, there's a change in the very nature of it. And we've had a number of testimonies where people have kind of said, you know, I feel like God changed the nature of who I am. We had one individual uh, who was struggling with a huge identity problem, literally had a, an angelic visitation, saw the presence of the angel, but felt a covering come over him. And he said, it was as if this peace came over me and my, my identity became solidified maybe for the first time in my life. That is cool, yeah? See, God is moving through these things. So here's part of the problem that we're facing right now. Our world is ridden with fear. Uh, you know, you, you got political fear, you got pandemic fear, you have economic fear, you've got every kind of fear that's out there. It's fear. The world is saying, the noise of the world is this, fear, 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 fear. The problem is Jesus, and all through the Gospels, says, fear not. He says, why? Why are you afraid? He says, don't be afraid. You see, so he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. And so there are these conflicting kind of themes that are going on that we're living through right now. And so for that reason, I believe a lot of the church is in a kingdom disconnect mode because of fear. Are you with me? Now, I'm going to say this, and I'll see if we can absorb it. I, this is my belief. In the church, not in the world, in the church, in the church, the COVID virus has not created fear. It has revealed the fear that was there already. Huh? You see, people say, where's God in this? What is God doing? Is God doing anything in this? I'm telling you, in the church, the COVID virus has not created fear. It has surfaced the fear that was there in the first place that God wants to deal with. Huh? That's a pretty, that's a pretty important distinction, 
right? And so, so this morning we're going to look at a miracle where Jesus speaks to the power of fear, all right? Um, it's, it's one, one, it's once again, it's one of those miracles where he, he changes the nature of physics. He changes the nature of things. He walks on water. But before we go to our text, I, I have a question for everybody. Um, it's this. In this season, brothers and sisters, don't you want to do something? Don't you want to be involved in something that only God can do? Uh, can I say that again? In this season, wouldn't you like to be involved in something that only God can do? See, I see this as a season of opportunity, not as a season of fear. Sure, we're going to be careful in all those things. By the way, next week, you want to be tuning in next week for those of you who are on live stream and are online, or those of you who are coming to McCungie or Bethlehem. You want to tune in next week because we have a lot of good information about what's going to happen between now and the fall. We're going to enter into a new phase of doing things. We're going to, I, I, I was thinking about calling it on the road to Damascus, you know, <laughs> but, but I don't know how we'll do that. So anyway, we'll be, we'll be relaxing some of the restrictions, not all of them, but we're trying to, to ease. We feel like God's saying we can ease into this thing, but we're also going to be, uh, we're also going to be talking about some programs, some really interesting things that God's going to be doing at NC4 in the fall. So I, I, it's really a recalibration message, and so it's kind of important that you, you get on board for next week. This is a season, not of fear. I'm declaring it. It's a season of divine opportunity. Okay, and there are important reasons that we feel this way. You know, it's a good thing to thirst for the miraculous. We need to have an appetite for the impossible. I really believe that. All right, so quickly, let's look at this story, because I only have so much time. I want to look at this story from the Gospel of Matthew and see if we can find out why we don't need to be afraid. So in Matthew chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 22. Most of you have heard messages preached on this, or you've seen snippets of something on this. This is the context. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And the crowds are pressing in upon him, mostly because they've encountered what they think is a gravy train. I mean, anybody can feed 5,000 like that. We want to make king. So they looked to make him a political king. And it said he would not give himself to them because he knew what was in man. And they wanted, you see, so they wanted to have like the Galilee National Convention, and he just wanted to get out of Dodge. So, all right, they wanted to make him a political king. So Jesus perceives this, and we're going to begin in verse 22. It says, immediately, immediately after they wanted to make him king, he made, and the word there made is that he forced, immediately he forced or constrained the disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he sent the crowds away. Now, all the translators agree the disciples did not want to get in that boat. Well, why? Because they remembered what happened the last time they got into the boat, right? And they thought Jesus was going to be with him. What's worse, this time he wasn't even going to be with them in the boat. And they're going, they, they're, some of them are seasoned fishermen. They know at the end of the day, that's not the time to go on the Sea of Galilee. The winds sweep up off the Mediterranean, come in, make the water rough. Things can happen, all right? Verse 23 so Jesus had sent the crowds away. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. 
I'm going to uh, claim this, that they thought Jesus wasn't with them, but because Jesus was in prayer, he was with them. Huh? I mean, the scripture says he intercedes for us before the Father right now. People are saying, well, where is God in this thing? He is with us. Huh? So, verse 24, but the boat was already a long distance from the land, and it was battered by the waves. The Greek literally states that the boat was tortured by the waves. That's the word that's used there. For the wind was contrary. All right. So here's this predicament. Have any of you ever been in a tortured predicament because of a contrary wind in your life? Huh? So the boat was about four miles into the Sea of Galilee. It's at night. And verse 25 says, the fourth watch of the night and he came to them walking on the sea. Fourth watch of the night means it's about 4 a.m., between 3 and 4 a.m., and they've been rowing all night into a contrary wind. Oh, verse 26. Now remember, Jesus sent them there. Huh? Jesus set them up. He sent them there. Verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. The word for ghost there is phantasmos, from which we get the English word phantom. They thought it was a phantom of some kind, an evil spirit. It could be anything. And they cried out in fear. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage or, or be of, actually he says, be of good cheer. I mean, how contrary is that? Be of good cheer, he says, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, the original is even more striking because Jesus says, look, be courageous because I am. Ego eimi, that's what it says. Ego eimi, be courageous because I am. He's not only declaring that it's Jesus, he's not only saying that it's me, but this me happens to be the I am of Israel. Huh? He's declaring himself God. Okay, verse 28. So Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you upon the water. Or, or you could translate it this way. Since it is you, then command me to come to you upon the water. I love Peter. I'm not like Peter at all. I'd say, really? You come to the boat. But anyway, so Peter just, if it is you, command that I come to you on the water. Verse 29. And so Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. I don't know for sure, but it's the only instance that I know of that any human being, other than Christ himself, ever actually walked on the water. Once again, defied the nature of the way things are. Suddenly, suddenly water wasn't water anymore. It was a pathway, all right? Okay, verse 30, but seeing, seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. In verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hands and took hold of him and said, you of little faith. And I, it's hard for me to explain how that works in, in Greek, but it wasn't like he was saying to Peter, the word faith there is only used two times in the whole New Testament. You who hesitate, that's literally what it means. But it's almost like a nickname. It's not like he's saying, Peter, why did you hesitate? He's, he's saying, Peter, hesitating one. Yeah. So he kind of renames, he's always renaming Peter sometime. Anyway, he kind of renames Peter as the hesitating one. And so verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. 
And the storm just goes away like that. So this is interesting because it means that the storm was the platform for the development of faith and for the overcoming of fear. Right? It was a divine setup. I mean, this has been terrible, and I know people have suffered, and people have died and so forth, but what if the church suddenly discovers a year from now, two years from now, that there was a divine setup in the midst of all this, and we flunked the test? Huh? What if that happens? Huh? Verse 33, and those who were in the boat, watch this, worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. They're suddenly realizing that not only is Messiah Messiah, but Messiah is God himself. Wow. Okay, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. One of the understandable comments I get from people, pastors as well, you know, I can't believe we're still in this virus. I can't believe how long this thing is lasting. And, and they're, of course, they're referring to COVID. And we've been attempting to hear God's voice, and I can't hear it. Well, I get that. But what about when obeying God and listening to his voice leads you straight into the storm rather than out of it? Huh? You know? So my first point is obedience to Jesus will often take you deeper into the storm. Now, nobody's saying, hallelujah, thank you, brother. I, know. <laughs> I always say to people, how many people want to be overcomers this morning? And people raise their hands, you know, and I say, how many of you want something to overcome? You know, no hands go up. <laughs> See, there are storms in life, and then there are storms in life. Some storms are of our own making. Anybody made a storm for themselves? Yeah. Jonah was in a storm because he was running away from the will of God. I remember Charles Simpson. Some of you won't know who that is, but he's a great Bible teacher, apostle of the last century. He, he, had, a, he had a real smoking habit. And he said, I could never quit smoking. He said, but it came to the point where every time I had a cigarette, I got in a car accident. And so <laughs> he said, I had four car accidents every time I lit up a cigarette. So I quit smoking. <laughs> so Now, see, that's a storm, but that's a storm of your own making, right? Those kinds of storms are avoidable, and I call them correctional. They're correctional storms. But this isn't a correctional storm, you see. They're tough to go through, but there's another kind of storm, and I call this a storm for perfection's sake, right? Trisha and I, when we were much younger, when we were raising our kids, we felt like the Lord spoke to us and said, you need to begin to take in kids, but don't do it through the foster system. Take in kids who don't have homes and just care for them, nurture them, let them stay with you. Don't charge them anything, just do it. And so we had, I think, nine kids, right, over the course of I don't know how many years, live with us. And I want to tell you, that sounds very noble, but a couple times we felt like we invited the devil to come live with us. I mean, some of these kids had problems, and we worked through them. Almost every one of those kids today is in good shape. They have families. They, well, some of them went to college. I got one kid we got through high school. She was the first child in all the generations of her family who ever graduated high school and all this stuff. Hey, let me tell you, God told us to do that, but it was a storm sometimes, huh? But we knew the Lord had spoken, yeah? All right, the point is this. We grew, did we not? We grew more than those kids did coming through it. See, because it's a perfectional storm. It's, it's for perfection. All right, so think of Job. When disaster comes, his friends are convinced 
that, you know, it's because of sin. But Job knows it's not because of any specific sin that he did, you know. But Job also knew, ultimately, that he'd come to see God for who he is, consequent to the storm. It's literally a storm, a whirlwind. So here's the thing. In the boat, Jesus didn't appear to be with them. See, it's one thing to get into the boat that God's calling you to get into if you know he's in the boat with you. But here, Jesus didn't appear to be with us. For some people in this boat that we're going through, Jesus doesn't appear to be with us. But I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is interceding before us into the Father, and because of that fact, he is, in fact, with us. So they were rowing and working from dinner until 4 a.m. Their muscles are tired. They're empty of effort. But it was then, in the dead of the night, the darkest point of the night, where there's no point of return, right around the corner, he comes to him, walking on water. You see, Jesus wasn't in the boat, but he was with them all along. And when they saw him on the water and they heard him identify himself and say, be courageous, be of good cheer, you just have to say, wow. When the creator of the universe, the only being who really truly should be feared above all else, looks at you and says, do not fear, it means you can be fearless. Huh? So here's what I want to say to the church here this morning in in McCungie and those of you online. Do not fear. Do not fear. Why are you afraid? I understand There are all kinds of rational fears here. There's unemployment, sickness, provision, pain, death, all those kinds of things, but Jesus is here right now. Hallelujah. Jesus is here right now. So under the principality that we're warring with, and it's real, it's a real warfare we're going through, splayed across the airwaves, oh man, the Christian media even, There are these apocalyptic, dystopian, doom and gloom prognostications and prophecies. And so, you know, I see it everywhere. I mean, everybody's got a prophecy about something bad happening. Have you been there? I went to some of my acquaintances who are tried and true, proven prophetic voices internationally and nationally, and said, what do you think about this, 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 and this? And I just was with one this week, this past Monday. I said, what what do you think? He said, God has told me to just keep my mouth shut. But let me tell you what I think about 99% of what's coming across the airwaves. He said, all I smell is dread and fear and the need to be in control. That's a pretty strong statement. Because I'm flying in the face of a lot of stuff that's out there on the airwaves. He said... I smell prophetically uh, fear and dread and the need to ultimately find a way to be in control. So we have old ladies buying guns. We have people stocking up on silver. All the kind of stuff that's going on. And look, some of you may be doing that. Praise God. If, If God's speaking to you to do that, go do it. But let me ask you one question. Ultimately, what's your motivation? Are you doing it because of fear, or are you doing it because of hope? Because if it's not for the sake of hope, 
you won't be able to turn it over into faith. Excuse me. You know, for the love of God was shed abroad by the Holy Spirit that we might hope, and hope becomes faith. Amen? All right. See if you can kind of catch this. The voices that you allow into your life not only inform you. You see, we say, well, I just want to be informed, so I'm watching this move, this news station 24 hours a day, and I, you know, I want to be informed. Okay, that's fine, be informed. But you know this, that the voices that you allow into your life not only inform you, they form you. Say that again? The voices that you allow into your life not only inform you, they form you. And it's not just the content of the voices that form you, it's the attitude of the voices that form you. I'm not making a political statement left or right, I'm just saying, watch what comes in your ear gate. Huh? Seriously. Because it can distract you from the fact that Jesus is here, which is something worth celebrating. So, the point is this, the voice of Jesus right now if we can hear that voice above the clash and the din of everything else that's in the world, the voice of Jesus is beckoning every one of us into the impossible. Unbelievable. Look, this is the latter part of my life. I'm believing for stuff. Yeah? So our faith isn't in faith. Our faith is in Jesus and the power of his word. So, so Peter says, Lord, bid me come. And, and Jesus is saying, come, Okay. And it doesn't really matter how impossible things seem because if Jesus has said the word, it gives us something to stand on. Huh? In the old Pentecostal days, there was this adage. Uh, this, I'm going back to, to my spiritual childhood. Peter did not really walk on the water. Peter walked upon the word. Huh? Because if Jesus had not said come, he would not have been able to walk on the water. Jesus said, men and women do not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the point is you can't hear the word proceed if you're letting all kinds of other distracting voices in that preclude hearing the word of the Lord. And everyone in this room, even if whether you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, everyone who's online this morning, every one of us are capable of hearing the word of the Lord if you're within earshot of what I'm saying. So here's the thing. Peter didn't really walk on the water. As I said, he, Peter walked on the word because Jesus said, come. Okay, so ask him first. That's the point that I'm making here. Then stand on what God says when he's speaking to you, right? And at this point, it's his reputation on the line, not yours. How, how cool is that, all right? So that's where God comes through and that's the touch point that we want to talk about this morning. But there's an important part of this story that I really need to conclude with. Because, of course, Peter does walk on water, but then he sinks. <laughs> and it says he sinks when he takes his eyes off Jesus and focuses on the wind and the waves that surround him. So I want to say, I don't know, there's an unending supply of noisy wind and waves today to distract us during this time. And isn't it interesting that in the first episode on the water, the first time Jesus invites the disciples to get in the boat, Matthew 8, and, you know, they have another storm, 
and there's even a water spout. Jesus rebukes there. He says, why were you afraid? Fear not. He rebukes them for their fear. But here, Jesus rebukes Peter for his doubt. Huh? In other words, what, for his hesitation. And the word actually means hesitation. So here's the question that I think, I think is fascinating. What was Peter doubting? I mean, he clearly didn't doubt Jesus' power or character. He just said he's God. He's walking on the water, right? He's standing there right in front of you. He takes his eyes off Jesus and Peter begins to sink. Well, why is he sinking? What is he doubting? You know, and here's the answer. I think Peter was doubting himself because that's what I would do. <laughs> you know, it's so easy after you take a step of faith to have this next thought. What on earth did I just do? <laughs> do, I, do I really have what it takes to carry through what God's calling me into right now? You know, did God really say that? Because then the word disappears and you've got nothing to stand on. Huh? Did God really say that? Did I really hear him? And that doubt immediately corrodes my trust and not my trust per se, but my trust in myself. Huh? This is where character development comes in. This is why Sometimes the storms are not of our own making. The storms are God's developmental, perfectioning way for us to come to the fullness of the knowledge of him. So if you've heard the Lord this morning or throughout this series called Touchpoints and you've stepped out, then here's the thing you need to focus on. He is the one that called you. He's the one who issued you the invitation. He's, he has exhibited trust in you, so why should you doubt in yourself? You know, he trusts you enough to talk to you. I mean, wow. So when Peter begins to sink, he cries out and says, Lord, save me, and immediately the right hand of Jesus just pulls him right up. Yeah? And here's the final point. As we continue to pursue this touch point of faith, we doubt ourselves and we begin to look at the ways and question why we ever got in this crazy thing. But watch this. The hand of Jesus carries us through doubt every time. If we'll touch him or allow him to touch us. Now, one of the jeopardies of this COVID thing, you know, I'm looking out at some of you, you're gagging on your masks and some of you got them pulled down under your nose and... <laughs> and uh, Look, I'm looking out. There's a captivity in this. Are you there? But it ain't as bad as the captivity Paul went through. It ain't as bad as the captivity Peter went through. I mean, I saw Paul's prison in Rome. Holy moly. It isn't as bad as when Paul and Silas were in jail. And they worshipped they worshiped the Lord until there was an earthquake. Yeah. Now, I understand it's a captivity. But could it also be a test a bit, too? Yeah. So here's the deal. When we're in this captivity and we feel ourselves sinking, because last week uh, it came back through uh, the prayer chain. Like people are online right now asking questions to Pastor Mike and doing all that kind of stuff. And some of them just said, man, emotionally I am like, I'm, I'm really rocked. I'm emotionally rocked during this thing. And when they were saying that, I sensed immediately the Holy Spirit came on me and said emotional chaos. Break a power of emotional chaos. And I did that. But what I did that while I was doing it, 
I had a picture, and it was of a, a lit candle and a clock. And the word that came to me was, you need to go home and light a candle and then sit before the candle and intercede for yourself for one hour. Jesus said, would you not tarry with me one hour? And I, while I'm getting this, I'm thinking, this is so cheesy. I can't believe I'm saying this. Yeah? You know, because it's a candle and it's liturgical and it's not power-driven and fancy and all that kind of stuff. And yet, I got these responses this week. But the one that struck me most profoundly, got a number of responses where people stuff. After an hour, stuff began to happen. And so I got, but the one response was from Brianna Lighting. And she said, when I sat down in front of the candle, I saw this black crepe, piece of crepe paper or crepe or something like that. And as I prayed and the candle burned, I saw, I saw the blackness just begin to burn away. Huh? There's a spirit. Huh? There's a spirit. And so the issue is today, if you're struggling emotionally, if you find yourself, you know, you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you begin to cry, or, or people are telling me these kinds of things, get a candle, get an hour, and get God. And I said that to somebody this way, I don't have an hour, where are you going to get an hour? Look, everybody here watches a show for one hour during the week, yeah? You know, well, I got kids, well then go sit in the car and do it, you know? <laughs> Sus listen, Susanna Wesley had 19 kids, I think like, Trisha, how many went to adulthood? 10 of her kids went to adulthood, 19 kids. Those kids knew that if Susanna was in the kitchen and she would cover herself with a blanket, Nobody got near her because that was her hour with God. Uh, huh? So go get an hour with God. I mean, not even, you don't even have to do it this week. Do it sometime. Get an hour with God. Light a candle. If, if, you know, if you feel emotionally frail, watch what God does. Okay, the last thing I want to say is the hand of Jesus carries us through doubt. But you got to get touched or you got to touch him. And in this climate, it's hard to do that. Yeah? And those of you who are home, at home, it's hard to get a touch from God unless you're really good at it, good at worship. Uh, they worshiped him. But at least here we have a semblance of worship. There's something of a, even right now, there's something of a touch of God available in this room, okay? Okay, so here's the question. What have I allowed to gain my attention that distracts me from God? Huh? I need a word that I can stand on, okay? because it's solid ground. It's one thing to acknowledge our faith in his presence, but sometimes you need to touch. So I'm going to close by praying for a touch for everybody, yeah? All right? And, and you know, some of you are going to have a moment this week and say, he touched me. Some of you are going to have a moment and going to say, he touched me, you know? Some of you are going to have a moment where you say, ouch, he touched me. <laughs> there are all kinds of touches, yeah? But you need to be touched, yeah. So whether it's an ouch or a ooh, God wants to touch us. And I want to pray that prayer in closing. Father, in the name of Jesus, for those online and for those, uh, Lord, who, who, who are here this morning, who are in McCungie this morning, uh, we put our hearts together and ask that every individual in, in this church called NC4, our congregations, that every one of us would receive a word because there's something in us during this season that just thirsts for the miraculous. 
for every pet problem, circumstance. We pray right now, God, for your Holy Spirit to come on this congregation throughout the week, throughout the, the moments of the week. And we ask for miraculous touches. Whether it's an ooh or an ouch or an O, oh, we pray that the living God would touch every one of us. And that we would have the wherewithal to testify to the touch. Because these are touch points of faith. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for looking at the winds and the waves and listening to, to voices that do nothing but create in us a spirit of fear, apprehension. And we ask God that above all the clash and the din, that we would hear the voice of the I am of Israel, the living God, the Holy One. And that we, some of us, would walk on some sorts of water in that very name, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. It occurs to me, um, maybe someone online or someone here who's never really taken that greatness of God and made it your own, given your heart to Jesus Christ. So you can do that right now. It's just this simple. If you just pray this prayer with me, repeat it after me. Uh, this can be the day where you walk on water for sure, right into your eternity. So here's a few words, if you'll pray with me, to change your life forever. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Forgive me. I turn from anything I know is wrong. I thank you you died for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. And I receive that forgiveness and I receive you into my heart. Please come into my life by the power of your Holy Spirit. I want to live forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.